0: I'm not one who takes much stock in dreams. I just think they're kind of jumbled memories that, you know, come together. But I had a dream before I left that has stayed with me. I normally don't remember my dreams, but this one stayed with me. We were kind of in this field, and it was a group of Christians, and there was this kind of, you know, vague visage of Jesus there, and he was calling people, to follow him and to kind of go into the next phase of work that we interpret as kind of like a battle. And and people were in line, some stepped aside, others went. And as my turn came, what I remember, I don't remember specific words, but let me tell you what I remember, is I remember a euphoria. There was this excitement that I was getting to be called to do something even though it might mean at a great cost. I've thought about that, and I don't you know. Is that from God? I don't know. But the idea of euphoria for the sake of giving your life over for the gospel, that's something I'd like to maintain, that excitement. It's the highest honor known to a human being. There are people who give their life for their country. I am very grateful for that. And I'm thankful that there are men and women who do that. But there is something greater about giving your life for the sake of the gospel because there are heavenly rewards attached to that for one who lives a faithful life to the end. We finish the last few chapters of Acts back at the end of last year. And we looked at the life of Paul, and the last few chapters are taking a view of Paul being arrested in Jerusalem, and then what happened as a result. And it was a group of meetings that he had with the Roman authorities trying to face false charges from the Jews. First started in Jerusalem, and then it went to several cities. Then he got on a ship, went to the Mediterranean, they got shipwrecked on an island, and he finally ends up in Rome. Now, Paul had already discipled Timothy and spent some time with him. In fact, he installs Timothy as a pastor. And he has written the last book he will ever write here in 2 Timothy. And this is what he says to him. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 and 7. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was using an Old Testament situation to make this illustration about a drink offering it's taken from numbers 28 it says the one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight also a tenth of an epah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a quarter of a hen that's a measurement of beaten oil it is a regular burnt offering which is ordained at mount sinai for a pleasing aroma a of food offering to the Lord, its drink offering shall be a quarter of a hen for each lamb. In the holy place you shall pour out a drink offering of strong drink to the Lord. The offering was a part of the worship ceremony. It was an act of worship. Notice verse seven says it, you to offer it to the Lord. Verse eight says it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Like the wine being poured out for the lamb, our lives are to be poured in an expression of worship. It's a a stewardship offering to the Lord. I recognize that my life is not my own, but I give it to the Lord for his use. That's an act of worship. It's an act of stewardship. It's reminiscent of Romans 12 that says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Have you thought that your daily living of your life is a worship song to the Lord? How you conduct yourself, the attitudes you choose, the direction of your heart is a way to worship God that day. We commission our lives, just like Paul did, for his use, for his purposes. This has a very practical application in how we spend our passions. Some spend the majority of their passions in making money, in building earthly domains without consideration how our efforts impact the kingdom. The issue is not how much you have, but leveraging what we have for his purposes. When I know it's all his, I'm content regardless of the amount of the things that I possess, right? And if it were all t- to go, could I still be content? In addition, I realize my life is his I'm here for his purposes. I'm not trying to manipulate everybody else around me to conform to my liking. I was greatly impressed with the team members I met with, as I've also mentioned, who were dedicating their lives to building gospel communities. Most had sold their earthly goods to be there. You give up being close to parents and grandparents. Imagine that, going to a foreign country. You have all the amenities of living in the United States, all that that affords us. Then you move to a land that's fraught with political corruption, religious stranglehold, currency falling, always with a threat of military conflict, now, we don't have to move away from America to show our commitment to the gospel. We can do that right here by dedicating ourselves as an offering to God. All that we have is his. How can I use it for his kingdom? Your home, have you thought about it? How it can be used for the kingdom of God? In simple Hospitality? By the way, the people over there, boy, do they know how to be hospitable. This Lebanese pastor, his wife who was from France, I had just eaten breakfast when I got there. They had a huge breakfast ready for me when I got there that I had to eat, I didn't want to be rude. And then they had a lunch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then they had a lunch that was killer. Just like three hours later, and you know, and it reminded me of my grandmother. Here, you need to eat more. Here, take this, take this. Right. But that's leveraging their home for the sake of the kingdom, just to show people love. It's an act of worship. Our passage also challenges the extent of this gospel expression of their life. Paul was being poured out. He used every last drop for the purpose of his life making an eternal impact in the proclamation of the gospel and in the building up of the saints. Is this sensible for modern Americans to do that? I mean we have we have a lot of things temptations for distractions that we can get into. But consider the words written by missionary Jim Elliot, you've probably heard him before, who gave his life for the service of the Lord. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, that can be true of us here now. Again, we don't have to move to have this kind of commitment. We can do this here. Give our lives for the purpose of the gospel. How can I leverage my time, my treasure, my talent right now for the kingdom of God, Lord? So how can I, how can I use that for the sake of the kingdom? When Paul wrote First and Second Timothy, but especially 2 Timothy, History tells us he was in a Roman dungeon, the Mamertine prison. You can see it here, prison on the left, one of the dungeons on the right. Now that altar that you have there was not there originally, but they put it there as a way to worship, to give honor to the saints that had been put into prison there. Paul was awaiting to be beheaded. He knew that it was close, He had already provided Timothy with good reasons to stay committed to the ministry. One of them was that Christ would return. You can read about this in 2 Timothy. The other is that there would be an increase of falsehood and wickedness. So you need to stay faithful to the task that God has called you to. Another was that Timothy was commissioned, dedicated, ordained to do this ministry. Stay true to your commission, Timothy. Stay true to preaching the word. And now, Paul gives Timothy another reason when he says, the time of my departure has come. Hey, Timothy, I'm not always gonna be around. And I think it's imminent that I'm gonna be gone. You gotta be ready take the baton and lead. You know, every ministry must consider a succession plan for the sake of having a faithful, enduring ministry. I was reading the Springfield Business Journal recently, and it had an article about uh, some leaders giving advice, and one of the business leaders said, my advice is on your first day of your job, start your succession plan interesting because you're training others to take over this job you are you are preparing them it's a part of what you should be doing i heard a pastor recently give a testimony it started a church the church grew to 1400 people one of the older men in the church said pastor i think you need to have a succession plan the pastor was only in his 40s he said no i don't need to do that i have no plans on leaving and he did not listen to what this old man said well God called him away. He left. And guess what happened? The church disintegrated. Poof. Not there anymore. They couldn't unite. They had no plan. And they're just scurrying about. And the church no longer even exists. The pastor felt terrible about it. He knew at least he was partly to blame, although I don't think it rests completely on him. No plan. You know, I have no plans about leaving CCC for another opportunity, but should God allow for me to live longer, the elders and I have discussed what it might look like in the years ahead to pass the baton. We don't just consider how it is done, but pray about who God would confirm when that time comes. So we have created an associate pastor position asking God to equip and confirm the next pastor. Now, I hope to be with CCC even when I die, even after I retire from a senior pastor position. But I would hope to stay because I would love to pass the baton to another man who's trained, ready, gifted, and then support that man in any way that I can. So Paul was readying Timothy, for the distinct reality that Paul would no longer be there. So, Timothy, I want you to be ready. I've now poured into you. It's now going to be your turn. This time of my departure is an obvious euphemism for death. Until then, God's servants are indestructible until their work is done. I, I was asked several times before I left on my trip, are you fearful? And I can honestly say I as nerve-wracking as it was to go through customs, to pass guys with machine guns or AK-47s. I never felt that my life has ever been threatened because of the gospel, but I have complete confidence that my life is protected until God calls me home. And if suffering comes before that, so be it. That's when that dream comes in because it's a pleasure, an honor, to serve Jesus Christ, to suffer for Jesus Christ. I hope that that will be my heart's state if and when that time comes. We're not to waste our time on piling up meaningless events. Again, doesn't mean you can't take a vacation, doesn't mean you can't go to a party, doesn't mean that you can't make a living but what it means is everything that I have, even those things, I think of it through this lens of the kingdom and for Christ's purpose so that I'm I'm good to the last drop (laughs) in giving my life for the glory of Jesus Christ. If you're unsure how this is to be expressed, let's consider verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the faith, the race. I've kept the faith. When you fought a good fight, you understand that there is an intensity about your endeavor. Living a life of faith is no picnic. You know that when you come to Christ, that doesn't mean that God stamps our ticket, no troubles for him or her. No. Doesn't mean that way at all. Did you see that Christians went through the pandemic just as well as non-Christians? God doesn't remove us from the troubles. We lose loved ones. Hopefully, we're on the tail end of the pandemic. But our lives can be in turmoil. We suffer from political uprisings as well. And we have problems in churches, just like they did in the Middle East. One thing that I appreciated is they talked about church life over there. You know, just having the churches with the best music Those things don't compute as much as what they might hear. They're forced to think of Christian community in much simpler terms, and I dare say even biblical terms. In other words, are we experiencing community? Are we experiencing the clear proclamation of the word? Is the church on a clear mission of training others for having their lives dedicated for the sake of the gospel? And they think in those terms, they realize that what is often passed off as a church isn't characterized by these latter things. They've learned to love the simpler, more biblical expression. You know what it made me is it made me to appreciate what we experience here at CCC. And I wanted to say, you know what? That's what we've been doing. At least the last 10 years, I feel like we've done a lot better job of having a church that experiences that. We've not arrived, but praise God for what he has done thus far. Notice it was not just a fight, it was a good fight. I don't think we're called to fight about everything. There is a pride that some Christians have in wanting to be in your face and fighting about the wrong things, but Paul says it is a good fight. Not only does this conjure up the idea of learning to choose your battles, but we operate in a way that is fair, that is respectful, that is loving, that is gracious. In other words, it is good by the nature of our relationships. And some Christians take pride that they have created enemies of family members and other Christians who don't see things their way, and in the end, they have not fought a good fight. They just fight about everything. What have we won when our family is split? You have alienated your friends and the gospel is buried somewhere long behind in the distant past. I've also finished the race. It means Paul has endured to the end. He remained true to the gospel despite Terrible opposition. The focus here is not just on winning the race, but going the full distance. Some of you know Steve Prophet. Steve has been a friend of mine for decades. He's founder of the Potter's House here in town. Steve and I sat down this past week. We talked for a couple hours. He suffered a stroke, a heart attack, and he has cancer. Yet it was one of the sweetest times of fellowship to be with a man who is not embittered, not scared, but humble, ready to serve, soft to the things of God. That's what I call finishing well. He's not at what the society calls top of the mountain. He doesn't have great health. There's no fame and fortune. Nothing wrong with that. That's just not what Paul means by finishing the race. Many, the older they get, the more crotchety they get. The more cynical they get. Instead, we're to constantly advocate for grace. We're to demonstrate it in our life. When you finish the race, you've not tubed out morally or given up the truth of the word of God. Many Christian leaders start the race in a sprint, and then about halfway down the track, they have pulled a hammy, and they quit running. Doctrine is of no concern to them. Neither is the authority of Scripture. The moral imperatives of God are a relic of the past, and a closer look reveals that they have difficulty finding the gospel or it's corresponding holiness in their life that's not finishing well Paul also says I've kept the faith not only has Paul stayed faithful to the proclamation of biblical truth but he stayed faithful in the living out of that truth his commitment was marked by his faithfulness to the Lord and his word And I would add loving relationships with others. Two greatest commandments, to love God and what? Love others. He's learned to hold the things of this earth with an open hand because what did Jesus talk about? Often the word gets choked out by the cares of this world. And so I hold it with an open hand. And then I clutch more tightly those eternal truths that mark us as kingdom people. You know, the more we mature in the faith, the less care we have about attachments to earth. The more passionate I am about being poured out as a drink offering to Christ, finishing well, keeping the faith, having an open hand with those things that don't matter as much, like my friends in the Middle East who gave up their earthly goods for the gospel trying to unceasingly pile up earthly possessions is gone. Past offenses are truly forgiven and I'm not fighting with other family members. I care less about who does yoga, who has certain music in the church, what political affiliation some are, who speaks in tongues, who doesn't. I'm not trying to manage everybody to fit my specific prescription, to adjust it to my liking. That makes us manipulators. I have a dear friend who was called into a deposition with adversarial lawyers. These lawyers represented a religious group that was justly sued for a serious offense. It's a cringe-worthy experience to look forward to walking into a room of lawyers who are looking for blood. He was not nervous because he had something to hide. He was nervous because of the stress of what hung in the balance that weighed heavy on him. So he got people to pray. And then he went to a counselor friend and asked for some advice. And this is what his friend told him. When you sit down at the table, do not put your hands on the table. Do not fold your hands. Do not cross your legs. Put your feet flat on the floor and put your hands palm up on your lap. Keep your hands open. Keep that posture the entire time. It is a signal to your mind and to your heart that you are holding loosely those things that you were holding to that you got so nervous about. It's a bodily position that helps to relieve stress. And guess what happened? It worked. He made it through the deposition without losing his lunch and didn't have near the amount of stress he thought he would. I think that's a good posture for all of us. We can't always keep like this all the time. But we loosen our grip by offering to God our lives and our hearts as instruments of worship to be humbly submitted to him. I think it's a good practice if we expect to pour our lives out on the altar. Lord, use me today. I am yours. My family is yours. My children are yours. My job, my home, my car, all of my possessions, Are yours. My body is yours. Use it all for the sake of your kingdom. That's our prayer. That is putting your life on the altar. Let's be poured out to the last drop to the furthest extent we possibly can for the sake of the kingdom of God. Open hands can be indicative of the heart of a finisher. Let's pray.